This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. You guys excited about studying God's Word together this morning? Okay, we're going to be all over the scriptures this morning. Normally, uh, we, we usually study books of the Bible here, verse by verse, or at least section by section. But for the next four weeks, we're going to be doing what is more of a topical study on money and finances. And so it's going to be a four-week study over the next four weeks looking at stewardship, saving, spending, and giving, and what the Bible teaches us about these things. And money is a very pertinent study. It's a very pertinent topic because every single one of us, in some shape, form, or fashion, we deal with money and we deal with it regularly. Now, some of us have a lot more of it, and while others of us have a lot less of it. But if we're honest with ourselves this morning, this is a subject that many of us know very little about. And even those of us who may be more experienced with finances, you would probably, if you were honest with yourself, would say, I wish I would have matured in this area a lot sooner in my life than I did. And biblically speaking, uh, you may not know any more verses in the scriptures about money than maybe First Timothy 6 that says that money is a root of all kinds of evil, right? But I think what you may be surprised at over the course of the next few weeks is just how much the Bible talks about money and our hearts towards it, what we do with it, how we spend it, how we prepare, how we give it. So as we begin this short series on what the Bible teaches us about money and finances, I'm going to start this morning with work, with employment. And the reason is because it's how we get it. It's how we earn it is through continual labor. Now, work is an important topic because culturally speaking, generally speaking, I don't think our culture really values work all that much. I mean, culturally, we see work really as nothing more than a necessary evil in order to get the things we want to get and to do the things that we want to do. We almost see it as kind of like our daily plight as human beings. 80 years ago, it was the cute little seven dwarfs who sang, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. Perhaps our spin on it would be, I-O, I-O, so it's off to work I go. So you see, our primary motivation to work oftentimes is nothing more than to simply support the lifestyle that I wish to have or to pay off the one that I've already bought. And perhaps that's why we're so disenchanted with our jobs. Gallup recently in a nationwide poll showed us that approximately one-third of the American workforce is disenchanted or disengaged at their jobs. And by their definition, Gallup would define a disengaged employee as one who is not involved in, nor enthusiastic about, nor committed to their work and workplace. Perhaps you're there this morning. Maybe there are disengaged employees at church this morning. You work hard 
every day, day in and day out, but you don't know why, and you may not even care about what you do. In the lesser known verse of that great little song, Hi Ho, the seven dwarfs sing, we dig, 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 dig from morn until night. We dig up diamonds by the score, a thousand rubies, sometimes more, but we don't know what we dig them for. We dig, 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 dig. This morning, what I want to do from the scriptures is I want to show you why you dig them. I want to show you why you work. I want to show you why you do what you do. I want to show you that God cares why you do it, that God cares how you do it, and that what you do, whether you like it or whether you don't like it, whether you are simply trying to pay for school today through a myriad of part-time jobs, or whether you are working a full-time job with full benefits and excellent pay, but you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired at work, regardless of where you are vocationally, I want you to know today that the scriptures are going to speak into your situation. And I'm, my goal is that you would leave today transformed theologically in how you approach work. So let's get after it this morning. A biblical overview of the Christian views of work. We're going to be from Genesis all the way through the New Testament. Some I'll go quickly through. Others we may spend more time on. Here is truth number one about work and employment. We work by God's design. We work by God's design. If you go all the way to the book of Genesis, back to the beginning. I want to show you this because... Work is hard. Now, some of our jobs are easier than others, but work is hard. And work is more difficult today because of the fall of man. But when God first designed the universe, when God first created the world and spoke everything into existence, I want to show you that he wired work into existence for human beings long before sin ever entered into the world. See, sometimes we can wrongly assume that we work and toil and labor because we're sinners and because we live in a sinful world and that work is a result of living in a sinful world. But that's just not true. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the scriptures simply say this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. It's very simple. That's just a very simple truth from the Word. But what we see is before sin ever entered into human existence in order to skew the things of God, work was a part of God's design for human beings. And then, of course, the fall happened in Genesis 3 when our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God and sin entered into the world and turned everything upside down or really wrong side down and skewed everything. Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to what? To work the ground from which he was taken. This is the simple truth that I want you to see here. Now there are a lot of things that we can unpack between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 regarding the fall of man. But that's not the purposes of our study today. What I want you to simply see is that God designed work 
for human beings, and you see that design before sin enters into the world, and you see God continuing that design for human beings after the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. Exodus chapter 20, one of the Ten Commandments. In verse 9 of Exodus 20, God commands, Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. And so what we see from the first pages of the Bible is that God has designed work for humanity. We work because God designed us to work. Now, we're not just going to stay there. Let's go to a second big overview from the scriptures about work. Not only do we work by God's design, we also work for God's glory. So we can just simply focus on the objective fact of things and just say, well, we work because God wants me to work. We just, we just work because God designed me to work. But if we simply leave it at that, we would be missing a large piece of the why. And what, what I want you to know from the scriptures is that God passionately cares about not just the what's of our lives, but he also cares about the why's and the how's around it. And so we also learn from the scriptures that we work for God's glory. Now I want to show you this in two different ways. Number one, God cares why we work. He cares about why. <clears throat> Maybe you've been that kid all of your life of being told the what, and you just say why. <laughs> why? Why? Eat your vegetables. Why? Clean your room. Why? And maybe you're tired of just hearing because I said so. Look at Genesis chapter 1, when God creates humanity. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created him. The Bible tells us here that God created humanity like himself. When he created the, the stars and the planets. The Milky Way galaxy. The mountains the seas, the valleys, the hills. When he created all of creation and all of nature, none of it was created in his own image, after his own likeness. But the scriptures delineate human beings from the rest of creation. We are distinguished uniquely by the fact that human beings, male and female, have been created in the image of God. We have been created like our Father. Now, we don't know all the ways in, what, in, in which that means. We can't define all the terms there. But what we do know is that on earth, human beings, male and female, represent and are like God in ways that the rest of creation simply is not. You can think about this like your children. Just as you look in the face of your children and you may see your husband's nose and your grandmother's eyes and your skin tone, see your child is created in your likeness. Now they are unique creations of God, right? But they are still like you because they come from you. In that same way, we represent and are like God. Now, Chris, why in the world are you going into all that? Because go over back to Genesis chapter 2. 
Look with me in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done. Do you see that? God works. God works and God rests after He works. And since we have been created like our God, like our Father, when we work and we rest, and we work and we rest, and we labor and we toil, we represent our God. We represent our Father. We are made in His image. Now, God creates ex nihilio, meaning out of nothing. So he creates dust of the ground, mountains, human beings, literally out of nothing. Now, we do this similarly, all right? So we don't create out of nothing because everything that we use to fashion something new, we're going to use the resources, the natural resources God has given us here on planet Earth to make those things. But taking all of God's resources on planet Earth, when we start taking metals and chemicals, and we start forging together plastics, or we start putting, uh, taking all of these different resources and making it into an engine that would run an automobile, or we put together, like even think something very menial, like making and designing a mop or a broom that can better handle the dirt on the ground. When we creatively come up with things like that, in order to better humanity and to foster the good of society, we are reflecting the ingenuity and the wisdom and know-how of God by taking what He's given us and making it into stuff that an aardvark simply isn't going to do. You see, that God, God is passionate about why we work. We work because God works. John Piper speaks about this, and he says, To be sure, we should help each other find and keep work. But oftentimes, this is my aside, oftentimes our politicians are so passionate about unemployment and employment. And for them, it could be about for the good reasons, but it's oftentimes for the wrong reasons. And so Piper is telling us we also should care about unemployment. But he goes deeper with it. We should care about the larger problem of unemployment. But it's not first an economic problem, though it is that. It's first a theological problem. Human beings are created in the image of God and are endowed with traits of their creator that fit them for creative, useful, joyful, God-exalting work. Therefore... Extensive idleness, when you have the ability to work, brings down the oppression of guilt and futility. Friends, this is why we should care about our brothers and sisters and our relatives to have a job. Even if it's not the job they want or would ideally like to work in. What that quote from Piper is illuminating from the text of Scripture is that it would be better for you to work two different jobs at fast food restaurants and a custodial job on the side in order to get to that 35, 40, or 45 hours a week in order to provide for you and your family than to simply sit idle waiting for that perfect job to come along. Because work matters. And when we work with our hands and with our minds, 
we are reflecting our God. So God cares why you work, but God also cares how you work. He cares how you work. Very quickly here, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, the wise Solomon says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And that word translated as to do means work. So whatever your job is, do it with all that is in you and be the best at it that you can possibly be. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, and whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you go on down to verse 22 in that same passage, he's going to talk about the relationship between bondservants and masters. And this has the connotation of employment. And in verse 22, the scriptures say, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And so you see that we have a responsibility at our places of employment to do that which our bosses ask us to do. You may be at the place right now where you resent the fact that someone tells you what to do at work this week. But the Bible would tell us that as long as he or she is not commanding you to do something contrary to what the Bible would tell you to do, that you honor God by obeying those over you in authority, whether you want to do it or not. But I want to show you how he goes a step further. It's not just to do it. All right, I'll do it, but I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm going to tell you, if you ask me one more time. He says, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. And not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This is actually one of the prayers I pray for a lot of the guys in my life whom I disciple and have led for a long time. I will pray for them by name. And so I will pray things like, Father, I thank you for my brother Joe today. And I pray that as he works, as he sits at his desk, and as he takes phone calls, I pray that he would do it wholeheartedly as unto you first. And he would honor you with the gifts and the abilities that you've given him. But because he honors you so much in what he does, I also pray that it would bless his earthly employer. That's the, that's the, the, the attitude and, and the environment around which Paul is talking here regarding work. This passage applies to any job you have. You may have a boss that looks a little more like Michael Scott. And what you do every week may be more like an episode of Dirty Jobs. But the Bible says to do it and to do it well. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Whatever your life's work is, do it well. A man should do his job so well that the living, the dead, and the unborn could do it no better. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, Here lived a great street sweeper that did his job. Well, that'll preach. Like, that's good stuff. And that'll help you out a lot when you get to work later this afternoon or tomorrow morning. Pause to consider 
The diversity of talent and gifts in this room right now, this morning. In this room, we have engineers. We have construction, contractors, painters. We have plumbers. We have nurses. We have those who work in offices of government. We have computer programmers. We have moms. We have teachers, students, etc. That's just a sampling of who is represented in the room today. Regardless of what you do, know the why, know the how. God wants us to work by his design. He wants us to work for his glory. And then thirdly, the third big picture truth is that we thirdly work in order to provide. We work in order to provide. Now we get to the part where we normally think about with work. Work is all about money, right? Well, if I didn't mean if I didn't need money and didn't pay for things, would I actually work? The Bible would say, "Yeah, you work first of all because God designed you to, and you work for his glory to honor and worship him through how you do it and why you do it." But then don't miss the fact that yeah, work is the means through which God provides for you and others. And so what I want to do is direct your attention to the book of Proverbs. We're not going to go there right now for the sake of time, but read those verses from Proverbs and just look at the, at the writer Solomon's viewpoint on work and how you should do it and the warnings therein. But what I want to do is walk through here how we provide through hard work. And so the Bible teaches us all these different places Hard work first allows us to provide for ourselves. If you just turn over a couple of pages to the book of 2 Thessalonians. So here's what was going on in 2 Thessalonians. The first book of Thessalonians was very encouraging towards the church at Thessalonica. Doing great. But by the second letter of Thessalonians, there were some in the church who had gotten lazy. And they had become idle. And they were basically using theology and the promises of God to excuse their laziness and their idleness. Basically saying, well, since Jesus is going to come back, <laughs> since he's coming back soon anyway, why not just sit back, eat, drink, be merry, and just eat other people's food and share their belongings? Because what's the use of getting settled into a new job anyway if Jesus is going to come soon and just take us away, right? That was the mindset. And Paul writes to them, and he rebukes them. And beginning in verse 6, listen to the stinging words here from this apostle. He says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And it was not because we don't have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Friends, I want you to know that, that God has designed you for work. We've already looked at that. 
but let's take it a step further. If God has designed you for work and you are able-bodied and you have the ability to do something, to just sit in idleness and not work is a sin against God because you're not fulfilling the mandate to you, given to you by God. Now, that doesn't mean that, because I'm thinking about the, the, there are certain people in our, in our church right now who are their moms. And they have intentionally counted the cost to say, I'm going to stay at home with my children in order to raise them, in order to be there for my kids. I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. That's a job. And if you don't believe me, ask a couple of them in the room. And so I want you to know that this doesn't necessarily always mean a vocational job where you have signed a, 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 a W-2 with a company. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But what it does mean is that you are active. You're engaged. You're engaged in the workplace. You're engaged in the marketplace. You're using your gifts and your abilities and your, and your hands and your feet to accomplish something. You're not just simply sitting in the basement playing Call of Duty or Fortnite for, the, for all night. Like, that's just not what you do. That's not honoring to God. And so we, we work hard in order to provide for ourselves. We should not simply latch on to family members or friends indefinitely and just think that that is okay. Hard work allows us to provide for ourselves. Secondly, hard work allows us to provide for our families. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, one of the problems that was going on at the church at Ephesus was there were a lot of widows in the church, and their husbands had, uh, had died. And in the first century Greco-Roman world, there were very few opportunities for a widow, a woman who was left without her husband, in order to be able to just simply have the necessities of life. And so there were a lot of widows being neglected. And so the first intuition was to say, well, the church should provide for them. The church should take care of them. But Paul rebukes that idea. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow, that's in the Bible. So what Paul is saying is that if you are a child, especially if you are a child and you have parents who are in need and you are not helping to provide for them in their old age and you are just expecting social security and the government or the church to step in and take care of all the issues there, Paul says you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Now, does that mean that every single child has to take in their aging mother or aging dad and bring them into their home and care for their every need until they die without any help from outside? I don't think it means that. But if we're just simply ignoring our family, ignoring those who God has entrusted to our care and expecting someone else to do it, the Bible would rebuke us for that. And so I wonder even right now, as a 20-year-old or 25 or 30-year-old in the room, how would it transform your view of work right now to say, I want to excel at what I do, and I'm going to work hard, and even if that means I have to work two or three different jobs to, to make ends meet, I'm going to work hard and well, not only to provide for myself, but also to make sure that I have the ability to even contribute and help with my family down the road too. 
I wonder if God would speak to you this morning in that light. When I think about working very hard to provide for our families, I think immediately about my grandfather. My grandfather who raised me. He was born in the middle of the Great Depression. He could not read and he could not write. But what he lacked in intellectual prowess, it was made up for through a very strong work ethic. He was a carpenter. He was a really good one. He worked hard for a long, long time. He married my grandmother. They had three kids of their own. He built their little 800-square-foot house with his own hands, even designing some of the trim work and special uh, uh, carpentry work inside the house. It was the same house that I was raised in later, and it's the same house that both he and my grandmother lived in until their respective deaths. Few people will ever know my grandfather's name. There was nothing flashy about him, nor what he did for a living. But he glorified God by working hard with his hands, day in and day out for decades, in order to provide for his family, himself, for his widowed wife. Hard work allows us to provide for ourselves, allows us to provide for our families, Thirdly, hard work allows us to provide for others. Now, here's what, I'm going to be careful here. Here's what I really think makes Christians different in this regard. The world, generally speaking, all right, there are exceptions to this, but generally speaking, I think the world knows that we should work in order to buy myself groceries or to pay my rent, by and large. And I think that the world has a good idea that if I'm married and I have children, that I work in order to make sure that they have Fruit Loops and milk. But the idea that I work hard and diligently, not only to provide for myself, not only to provide for my family, but also to provide for others who aren't my family? I think that's a pretty radical notion for a lot of people who live in the United States of America. Where do we see that in the text? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. And this is written in context of a chapter where Paul is talking about the effects of the gospel in our lives. And he says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Doing honest work with his own hands. Stop there. We've already seen that, right? So that's not new. So doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. Now that's new. We haven't seen that yet in the scripture. How would that transform the way you work? Because you may say, man, I'm looking at my budget and it's just hard enough to make ends meet in my own house, my own household. How would it transform to say one of my financial goals is to be able to work in such a way and to increase my my income level so that I may have something to share with anyone who is in need. The Bible tells us that Christians work differently We share differently. We provide differently. Hard work allows us also to provide for others. Next, hard work allows us to provide for the mission. 
for the mission. John chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus says, Do not labor for the food that perishes. I believe implied in this is do not labor only for the food that perishes. Meaning that, yes, we work in order to eat food. We work in order to provide financially for myself and my household. But not only that, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And this is, of course, a metaphor that Jesus is giving for himself and the gospel. That Jesus says that anyone who does not feast on me, that does not, is not satisfied by the drink that I supply, this is a metaphor for salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus tells us that we are to work hard for the sake of the mission. This morning, you see in your worship guides, just a simple summary of the ministry of Mill City Church in 2018. And you see investments there that were made inside these four walls, outside these four walls, across the globe. When you give sacrificially of your money and your resources... That summary sheet is showing you what you are partnering with, what you are contributing towards. You are being a part of advancing God's mission. We're going to talk about giving in a few weeks, and we're going to talk about budgeting in such a way and saving in such a way, more specifically in the coming weeks of how we can free ourselves up to advance the mission of God. But just to kind of prime the pump a little bit. There are some of you who got raises in January. There are some of you who are expecting raises or a different set of financial circumstances sometimes this year. Now, oftentimes when we get raises, we immediately think about how can we raise our standard of living. But I want to challenge you this morning. How might God be leading you to think about when I get a financial raise, how do I raise my standard of giving? How do I raise my percentage of giving in order to advance the mission of God through his local church? Hard work allows us to provide for the mission, the mission of God. And lastly, what I want to show you from the text is that hard work also allows us to provide for what I call dependent independence. Chris, that may be the most oxymoronic thing I've heard you say in a while. Hard work allows us to provide for dependent independence. Let me show you the text, and then I want to explain what I mean by this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's the letter to the church at Thessalonica where the church was very much affirmed. Verse 11 and 12, Paul says, Aspire to live quietly. In other words, don't be one of these one of these people who are shouting down people all the time and protesting something and getting in people's faces, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. That's the Greek word for mind your own business. And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. phrase I want to focus this in on is to work with your own hands so that you may be dependent on no one. Now, let me give you a little disclaimer here. 
I don't for a moment want to minimize financial hardship. Friends, I grew up in an 800 square foot house without central air conditioning in one of the hottest states in the country. I know what it means to go to the grocery store and watch my grandmother purchase food with food stamps. I know what that's like. I've lived it. I know that there are some people in here who experience that today. I, want, I, want, I know that there are some of you who are unemployed right now and you are looking for employment and you really want what I'm talking about today, but you're just not in that season. I wanted, want you to know I'm with you and, and I hear you, okay? So I'm not for a moment trying to minimize financial hardship. What we're doing is we're speaking in the general sense of what God teaches us about money and about work today. Here's what the Bible is teaching us here is that our first intuition should not be how is the government going to subsidize my lifestyle. As Christians, that should not be our first go-to response to financial hardships. Our first response should not be, I wonder if the church benevolence fund could somehow get me on a, a longer path so I could get some substance from there. Like, are there places where help can come? Absolutely. But it should never be our first source to say, how can I just sit there and have that, that subsistence sent to me for a long and definite period of time with no plan to not work hard myself? What Paul is telling us here is that we should be willing to do hard things. We should be willing to do things that maybe we don't desire to do, but if this is what I have to do in order to provide for myself and my family and others, then I'll do it for this season until God changes my circumstances. Because remember, if I'm able-bodied, it's better for me to work two or three jobs that I really don't want to do than to simply sit at home and be idle and wait for someone else to provide for me when I could be providing for myself. You follow me? This is what he's telling us, that we should be dependent on no one. So here's what I mean by dependently independent. I believe that especially for those of us who are younger, we should be working hard in such a way, adding hours in such a way, doing what we need to do in such a way that we are building financial independence in an earthly sense so that we're not dependent on a myriad of people, whether it's mom, dad, the government, or the church while at the same time knowing that every single dollar I receive, every penny I own is given to me from the hand of God. And it is not my own doing. That whatever I have, whether I have uh, automatic deposit, that, that I never actually see a check, it's just I open online banking and it's there, right? Unless it's that way or I'm getting paid under the table with cash, whether I'm given a check where I sign, whatever dollar I get and however it's deposited into my account, I'm recognizing constantly, Father, you're the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You own every dollar. You own every dime. So whatever I have, it's not my own doing. You've given it. That's what I mean by being dependently independent. I'm dependent upon God for everything I have and everything I've been given, but I'm working so hard in such a way 
that I would set myself up for as much independence in this world so that I'm not dependent outside if I can help it. And that honors God. That's what the New Testament teaches us about work. So here's what I want you to hear this morning as we get towards our close here in this first message on money and the glory of God. The Bible teaches a culture of hard work, faithful work, financial responsibility. We live in a culture of laziness, entitlement, and financial irresponsibility. And so I wonder this morning, has God flipped the script for you? Has he turned your view of money upside right? And in order to do that, he may need to expose areas of your life where you're not aligned with him, where you are being entitled, where you may be being lazy, where you might be being idle. It might be today that you leave here going, you know what, I just need to bite the bullet and just work at dunks for a while. And if that's what you need to do, just go do it and do it for the glory of God until he brings you to a different season. There are others of you who may be being paid six figures, but you resent your boss and the ground he steps on. And today may be the day that God would be calling you away and say, I need to be learning how to love my boss and pray for my boss and serve my boss because ultimately I can't change what he or she does towards me, but I can totally change the attitude I have towards him or her. God may be even setting you up today to start taking some financial responsibility for your lives and maybe opening you up in a way to say, look, in the next three weeks, as we're looking biblically about spending money, saving money and giving money, God, would you teach me and instruct me so that I may honor and glorify you in this area of my life? Here's the bottom line this morning. Growing in our approach to work and money is a crucial part of Christian discipleship. You see, we can so live compartmentally that we think that all God cares about is a Sunday morning experience where I sing Chris Tomlin songs and open the Bible and take great notes and then walk out and I had my spiritual experience and that's discipleship. But what I want you to see today is that Christian work, Christian finances, the way we work, the way we spend and manage money is a crucial part of Christian discipleship. And so since it is, maybe we would pray this prayer. Father, transform my heart to glorify you with my work and with my money. And this morning we look unto Jesus as our ultimate example and the one to empower us in this. Because as the book of 2 Corinthians teaches us about Jesus. Jesus, who himself was rich, made himself poor so that through his poverty you may be rich in him. Not in earthly wealth, not in cars and houses and lands, but in rich in love and grace from God towards you and from you towards God. And the only way that happens is through his son Jesus who made the way for that to happen. And so if you're here today and that's the first time you've heard a glimpse of the gospel of Jesus, I pray that that little glimpse would be enough to get you to ask someone you trust today to tell me more of what it would be like to honor God, not only in my work and finances, but in my entire life. Let me pray for you and then we're going to sing in response.
Father, today, we confess that we need you. We confess that we are worldly people, we are materialistic people. And really, at our heart of hearts, Lord, we're lazy people. And so any sense of hard work or good ethic we have towards employment, it comes from you. And so, Father, come today. Lord, fill the gaps of where we're weak. Lord, make us more diligent where we're lazy. Make us more busy where we're idle. Father, make us more responsible where we're irresponsible. Teach us to be humble where we may be entitled. And I pray that we would be a people who value and understand hard work. That we would know the design, that we would know the hows and the whys, and ultimately what it's for. And we pray in these coming weeks that you would transform us financially so that we may reflect the transformation that the gospel has done in our heart in this area in our life. And we pray this because of Jesus. Amen.